materialization of our inner emotions. Can art really be used as a therapy to promote mental health? Clinical trials suggest yes, very much so. Tune in for all the details only here on the People Scientist Podcast. to the People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking, to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 54. I'm pretty sure it's episode 54, and I feel I feel like I don't even know what day of the week it is anymore. And I think we're all feeling like we're in the same kind of boat with our schedules being flipped upside down. But welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast, where every week I arm us with some scientific evidence so we can all lead the healthy lives that we want to live. So how are we all doing this week? How are we holding up? Now, I would be lying if I said this past week was easy. It has been hard on all of us. I would say that in general, I'm a very laid back, very optimistic and energetic person, and I still am. But I feel like this week, for the first time, I know what real generalized anxiety feels like. To me, it feels like my capacity to handle everyday obstacles is now more difficult. It has been tough on me, but I am okay, and thank you to all of you that have been reaching out to ask how things are going with me and and everything going on in New York City. And a lot of people have been asking how I've been coping with the stress. And I'm trying to keep myself very physically active. Normally I walk for an hour every day, I usually dance several times a week, and which for me, dance is generally my energy output and my favorite pastime, as I spoke about in last week's episode. And even though I'm limited now in my ability to do that, I'm trying my best to still dance and exercise in my very small apartment so that I can keep with a routine, to keep feeling healthy and motivated. It's just all about adapting to our new circumstances. I'm also having a lot of Skype and FaceTime dates with people to keep connected and to keep the laughs going. And I know a lot of people are doing that. And I think that's a wonderful thing about our technology now and to keep us feeling connected. And today I have another suggestion for everyone that I myself am going to try this week. But before I jump into that, for everyone asking how I have been and what it's like in New York right now, thank you for reaching out. That means a lot to me to know that a lot of you care about myself and how I'm doing. And right now, I would say in New York, it's pretty resilient. I would say this city is very resilient because they've seen a lot of things a lot of tragedies, unfortunately, but it has made for a more resilient city. Right now, New York does have the greatest number of COVID-19 cases in North America at almost 40,000, but this number of 40,000 is underrepresentative, underrepresented, as many mild cases do go unreported. We are currently in lockdown here, and the hospital that I work at, Mount Sinai, which is the largest hospital system in New York City, is ramping up to deal with the number of cases in the days to come. 
For example, a Navy hospital ship was deployed to Manhattan this week, which has about a thousand beds that is supposed to care for people that do not have COVID-19, so for other patients with other ailments. We are also turning our convention center, the Javits Center, into a quarantine unit to also increase capacity. And there is redeployment of us within the hospital system to assist with COVID-19 and to help with the increased demand on the hospital system. So during this time, I think feelings of anxiety are completely normal. But what is most important to remember are our strategies of resilience and healthy coping. Unfortunately, at times like this, some people might turn to unhealthy coping, such as increasing alcohol intake, but we need to remember our healthy coping strategies. I myself am having to pull from these strategies that I've done episodes on before to keep healthy and strong. For example, you know, the past couple of weeks I spoke of how video games and dance can have a positive impact on our mood, our ability to stay socially interacting and connecting, and can also enhance our cognition. I really enjoyed the dance challenge that I put out to all of us last week. Thank you for sending me your dance videos, and thank you for keeping me motivated to try that dance challenge. Your videos definitely put a smile on my face and made my day. And I will likely post my version of the dance challenge this week on social media to share with all of you as well. If you missed out on the dance challenge and still want to try it, I will post the dance tutorial link from YouTube in the description box below. It is never too late to be a part of that dance challenge, so give it a try if you want. So for this week, I wanted to keep in line with the theme as of late and speak about something positive that we can do for our mental health while we are spending more time at home than usual. So I chose today to talk about art as a therapy. In many different contexts, art can be added as a beneficial pastime that may have great benefit on mood and behavior. I was really surprised to see how extensive of a benefit art therapy can have. In the last several years, I've personally not done any art. I would not categorize myself as an artistic person. But based on what I share with you today, I think I will try some art this week as a way to remain healthy and resilient. If you want to try to do some art this week with me, I'd love to hear about it or see what you did. So as we always do, let's start off with some core takeaways. Art, which can include drawing, painting, sculpting, creating collages, among other forms, allows individuals to express their emotions in physical form. Now, the ability to do this may allow individuals to recognize their feelings, to challenge their feelings, and to cope with them. Art may also challenge sensory motor skills and could have benefits to cognition, which could be of great benefit to particularly older adults. As a result, clinical studies illustrate art as a therapy for those exhibiting anxiety or post-traumatic stress disorder can be of benefit to decrease negative emotions. Art therapy may enhance cognition in older adults as well. Now, beyond making or creating art, observing art in itself can be a benefit to our mood. Often what makes visualizing art powerful to us is when an artist can create a piece that portrays our inner emotions and us being able to relate to that. Visualizing our inner emotions in a physical space has the potential to be very therapeutic. This whole topic is called neuroaesthetics. Studies illustrate that certain brain regions are involved in visualizing beautiful art. These brain regions regulate emotions, reward, and motivation. 
Right now, while we are at home, many art museums have actually taken high-resolution images of their paintings and sculptures and have made them available to view online in very high resolution. So if you wish to see some of these pieces in the art museums, I will post the links to these images in the description box below. Throughout this episode, I will also give suggestions on some art that we can do while we are at home. Now, let's jump into the details. Several clinical trials have aimed to determine if an art intervention program can have benefit to mental health. For example, Abing in the journal PLOS One in 2018 conducted a review and highlighted three randomized controlled clinical trials that included 167 patients in which art was used as the intervention therapy as a potential treatment for anxiety. The participants included, included three different populations, students with post-traumatic stress disorder, students with exam anxiety, and prisoners that were about to be released from prison that had feelings of anxiety in regard to this. The types of art the participants did included collage making, free painting, clay work, still life drawing, as well as trauma-related mandala design. Now, this mandala design is artwork in which someone makes it within the framework of a circle. Now, based on these three clinical trials, the authors note that art as a therapy appeared to induce feelings of relaxation, allowed the participants to gain access to unconscious traumatic memories, thereby creating possibilities to improve emotion regulation and coping strategies. So let's go into some of the details of one of the clinical trials that was used in this review. For example, you in 2016 recruited 69 prisoners that had anxiety about being released from prison and re-entering back into the world in two to three months' time. The art intervention included a well-known psychology exercise called House Tree Person Drawings. In these exercises, individuals were asked to draw a house, a tree, and a person. And as a result, this drawing could provide insight into emotions and unconscious thought. The house tree person drawing is used to analyze someone's feelings about their environment and themselves. It represents how the person feels and thinks about themselves in the context of the world or their environment. If you want to try this exercise, it could be really interesting. If you do want to try it, I would suggest try the drawing before you hear my following explanation or analysis of the drawings so that it doesn't bias your drawing. So simply, if you want to give it a try, just draw a house, a tree, and a person. Then come back to this episode and hear the explanation or how psychologists analyze that drawing. So it is thought that the house represents a sense of self or a sense of someone's family or the people that are closest to them in their life. Is, so the psychiatrist or is the psychologist will ask the question, is the house large or small? Are the lines faint or strong? If the house is small with faint lines, it can potentially represent low self-esteem, lack of community support, or depression. A large house with strong lines can represent a large ego, or holding oneself in high regard, or having a large group of people in their life. They ask, are there windows, are there doors? If there are no windows or or doors, it could mean the individual feels closed off from the rest of the world. Or is it the opposite? Are there an abundance of windows and doors? This could mean someone feels that they need more interaction, more belonging, and are more open to that. Is there a really long sidewalk? Are there shades, shutters, bars, or curtains on the windows? This could mean an unwillingness to reveal a lot about oneself. 
Now onto the tree. The tree represents an individual's ego, their self, their personality. The branches on the tree represent the way the individual reaches out to the world. If the branches are small and short, there is the possibility of an introverted personality, someone that likes to keep to themselves. If the branches are extremely large, it could indicate needing, neediness and really needing to reach out to other individuals. Bare branches with no leaves can indicate depression and hopelessness. Leaves, on the other hand, can represent that the efforts to reach out have been successful. A study by Niolin in 2003 concluded that those who draw weeping willow trees are more common than those living with depression. Now, in regard to the drawing of the person, it may represent themselves or someone they don't want to admit that they are. If the person happens to be of the same sex, it is likely that the individual is representing themselves and how they think they are. And if they draw someone of the opposite sex, it could potentially represent someone who they may not want to admit is like them. Arms are the way that we reach out to the environment, so open arms in the drawing could indicate openness, while closed arms show defensiveness, and disconnected arms indicate powerlessness. Pointed fingers and bald fists could mean aggression. Hidden hands may represent anxiety or antisocial tendencies. So how someone draws these things can provide insight into their emotions without having to verbalize them. So in this particular clinical study of the prisoners that were about to be released, the participants were asked to draw a person, a tree, and a house 10 times throughout five weeks. The control group had no intervention. Now, during the period, the participants had their feelings of anxiety rated based on their Hamilton anxiety rating scale and also on the Zung self-rating anxiety scale. Scientists noted that the group that was involved in the drawing intervention had exhibited a significant improvement in measures of their anxiety, while the control group with no intervention actually exhibited a worsening in their anxiety ratings. So in this clinical trial, a specific type of drawing intervention that allowed expression of their feelings appeared to induce some benefit for reducing and preventing the increase in anxiety for prisoners. This illustrates that simply conveying emotions through drawing could be of benefit. Art therapy has also been studied extensively in soldiers that have undergone a traumatic experience and are diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. For example, Barbarian in 2018 wrote of art therapy intervention in soldiers that had post-traumatic stress disorder. They noted that the need for self-expression by soldiers or service members has been identified as, an imp as very important for recovery and for their ability to reintegrate into society. The internal feelings of anguish that underlies their memories and emotions may be uncovered and managed through art, which provides the opportunity for mastery and control that otherwise may not really be there with other conventional standard therapeutic interventions. So the art therapy intervention in this clinical trial lasted four weeks. In the first week, the participants were asked to create 3D masks as arts of work. As many of them suffered, unfortunately, a traumatic brain injury, this type of art focusing on the head and face was thought to be appropriate for their expression of pain and trauma. The fourth week, the participants were asked to create a multi-layered montage. This montage is a combination of paint and cutting out images or words from magazines and books. Now, the individuals can document or process something from the past or focus on where they felt currently or they could make their piece of art on the hopes or goals or concerns for the future. After the four weeks of the art intervention, there were some benefits noted. 
For example, 41% of the participants said that the experience was surprisingly enjoyable. They didn't think they would enjoy it, but they did have a good time doing it. 27% of the participants saw an increase in self-awareness and socialization. 35% opened up to share their feelings and concerns with clinicians when before they felt very closed off. And 4.3% exhibited significant improvements in depression and anxiety. Even though within a four-week time period, the percentage of those that exhibited a benefit to measures of in of anxiety and depression was lower at 4.3%, there were still incredible benefits of individuals being able to express their emotions, opening up, and allowing them to feel the ability to, to discuss their feelings and concerns with clinicians, which is a really important step in the healing process from PTSD. So in this context, a simple art intervention that allowed the individuals to open up and express their inner emotions to the outside with a physical means seemed to have some benefit. For soldiers living with PTSD. Now how about in another type of population? Art therapy is often investigated in older adults as well, where memory and cognition is of concern. Again, cognition indicates memory, decision-making, and strategic planning, for example. I spoke in the last two episodes how strategy-based video games and dance can have benefit to cognition in older adults, which could potentially benefit against reducing the risk of dementia. But how about art? Are there any benefits for cognition here? Well, a study by Cantu in 2017 recruited 162 older adults to determine if a creative program involving painting, drawing, writing, and mixed media could have benefit to cognition and mental health. The program was two hours a week for 12 weeks. The scientists analyzed the outcomes of the study qualitatively by asking the participants to write about their experience in the program and how it impacted them. The individuals reported themes of being challenged, their ability to learn new techniques, and being proud of the fact that they were able to learn new techniques. They reported being able to focus more effectively, feeling more calm as a result of the art program, that they enjoyed more social interaction, and they felt very happy with their accomplishments and their piece of artwork by the end of it. So there clearly were some great benefits involved in an art program in older adults. So taking these clinical trials together, looking at different populations of individuals, it appears that art, whether it be drawing, painting, creating a collage, or writing, are all a form of physical expression of our emotions that we may not be able to express otherwise. There appears to be great therapeutic potential in that. The other realm of art that I wanted to touch upon was not necessarily creating art, but observing art, and how that may also be therapeutic and rewarding to us. Many people find great joy in observing art pieces, but why? Well, it is thought that art may mirror someone's inner emotions, which can be therapeutic to view, as again, it is a manifestation of one's emotions that may help us deal with our feelings. Art can also be an enjoyable experience due to its complexity and allowing us to think and try to interpret what we see. Third, art can also just be innately rewarding and can activate particular brain regions involved in pleasure and emotion. For example, in the journal Neuroimage in 2011, the scientists reported that relative to non-art images, art images activated brain reward regions such as the ventral striatum, the hypothalamus, and the orbital frontal cortex. Recruitment of these brain regions can be involved in the pleasure observed with art. 
But what is it exactly that makes art appealing to us? Well, for starters, it could be the colors. Many companies and marketing companies have used the psychology of how we observe colors and how we may connect colors with emotions for their marketing or logos. For example, a study observed that a bright red color was associated with feelings of excitement and alertness. White was associated with the feeling of sincerity. Blue with competence. Black with sophistication and brown with ruggedness. This study illustrated how colors in themselves can induce robust feelings and different emotions. In another study in the journal PLOS One in 2007, scientists imaged which brain regions were recruited using an fMRI scan, while study participants viewed images of Renaissance sculptures. The scientists noted the activation of the insula was particularly strong. Most interestingly, when volunteers judged images as beautiful, it selectively activated the right amygdala part of the brain relative to images or sculptures that they viewed as ugly. Now, the amygdala is a very important brain region involved in emotion. The scientists noted that two brain regions may be involved in viewing beautiful sculptures, which is the insula, which they thought was associated more with objective beauty, whereas the amygdala was activated and that was driven by one's own emotional experiences or what they thought was subjective beauty. Symmetry and shape may also be a reason why we enjoy looking at art. Jacobson in 2006 confirmed that symmetry is an important part of perceived beauty and the ability to activate certain brain regions when viewing beautiful images. For some reason, symmetry and certain proportions activate our brain reward pathway and therefore become reinforcing and pleasurable to us. It is not really known why symmetry specifically is so rewarding to us, but it is thought to be related to a feeling of balance, normalcy, and health. It could also be related to an indication of fertility, of viewing symmetry in an individual. For example, one study in Platec in 2010 had recruited a bunch of men viewing images of women's bodies, and at the same time they were doing an fMRI scan of their brain. And the study had indicated that when the men viewed a woman with a waist-to-hip ratio of around 0.7, that it most strongly activated their brain reward pathway, more significantly than viewing images of a woman with a lower or higher waist-to-hip ratio. Similarly, women rate a higher shoulder-to-hip ratio in men as more attractive as well. So certain proportions and certain shapes may also just be innately rewarding for us to view. So many things can contribute to us enjoying viewing art, such as appreciation of effort, making us think about the complexity and what it represents. It can also be enjoyable to us because we can visualize our emotions onto a physical canvas. Or simply, the art may just be innately rewarding because of the color, shape, and interpretation of beauty and attractiveness. So that is a wrap, my people scientist army. In today's episode, I shared some scientific evidence on how creating art can allow our ability to physically express our emotions. Clinical trials show that an art intervention may reduce measures of anxiety, can increase our sharing or talking about our emotions, and may induce feelings of feeling calm, and may challenge and enhance our mental capabilities such as learning a new technique. So if you ever feel like you have negative emotions and need an outlet to express them, 
Art may be a very effective means by which to express yourself and your thoughts and your feelings without having to directly talk about them. Sometimes creating a physical form of our inner emotions can be very therapeutic. Observing art in itself may also be enjoyable because we may be able to relate to the art piece and it can entice emotions based on previous experiences. Or the art can also be innately rewarding based on color, shape, complexity, or proportions. So while you're at home, if you want to try some art, sketching, painting, collages, I think these are all great things to try. I know some friends of mine are doing paint by numbers, which is an easy way to paint a beautiful image as a very nice calming pastime. But you can also feel free to sketch whatever your emotions might be to reflect your inner emotions into a physical form. If you want to observe some art from some famous art museums, I will link the live access high resolution images that some art museums have just put up as a result of this quarantine. So you can all take a look at it if that's something that you would enjoy. So I hope you all have a wonderful week and I wish all of you some happiness, strength and resilience in the week to come. If you're doing any art this week, then please share it with me as I would love to see it. I myself am not much of an artist. I will try to attempt some sketching this week and share with all of you on my social media what I wind up making. It might be very bad, but you know what? I will probably enjoy making it anyway, and that's what counts the most, right? Perhaps I'll even post a challenge on my social media where we can all try to draw something similar or share a piece that we decided to create based on our own inner emotions. And if we share that with each other, that could be something really nice to do as well. If you have an idea for an art challenge, I'd love to hear it as well. So I will meet you back here, the same time and the same place, my People Scientist Army, only here on the People Scientist Podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.